It seemed that entrepreneurship and spirituality were in conflict. But they were mistaken. There is a profound art to building high-performance business that expands the soul. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we are here to explore. This is the Pure Power Podcast. I am your host, Oliver Philbock. Welcome. Welcome, dear listeners, to the Temple, the Pure Power Podcast. I am delighted to welcome you back on another episode in which we are going to explore how to bring spirituality into the business and use it as a way to fuel high performance in the business and to use the business as a way to fuel the growth of the soul. We have a really special guest with us today and I'm really looking forward to introducing you to him. But before we do, as usual, a quick sponsorship message. This episode is brought to you by Pure Power Coaching, where we help high-performing entrepreneurs to create the inner shifts that expand both the soul and the business. And we have had incredible results, both in a subtle, energetic, spiritual dimension, as well as in very real terms, with clients raising millions of dollars in funding for their new ventures, selling their companies successfully after becoming clear on their vision, doubling and tripling their incomes, even 10x in revenues we have seen over the course of two years. And we even have two saved marriages by now, and that was not even the focal point of the work. So check it out, www.thepurepower.de, and feel free to get in contact if this is something that you are curious about, and I'm happy to be having a chat how this might benefit you and your business and your soul growth. And now, that being said, as I said, I have a really special guest here with me today, and I'm really looking forward to this episode. It feels in many ways like a fireside chat. He's a dear friend of mine and at the same time a real powerhouse in what he is doing. So I'm excited to introduce you to my friend Menno. Menno Delis is, as I said, a dear friend, a business powerhouse, a spiritual practitioner, an Ironman athlete, and the founder of Grower, an agency specialized in coaching CEOs for growth and future-proofing. He has served on the boards of UBS, MasterCard, and Le Pain Quotidien, amongst many other companies, and lectures in top universities such as NYU Stern, LSE, and HSC in Paris. Menno has worked with top leaders of some of the world's largest tech companies and been in the background of major innovations that we see in companies which we all know, but which I cannot mention for confidentiality reasons. So Menno, welcome to the show. I'm honored to have you here. Thanks, Oliver. It's a huge pleasure to be here with you and with your audience. And uh, I can only but echo the initial feeling of the fireside chat alike vibe and um, yeah looking forward to dive in yeah beautiful indeed the last time we were hanging out was probably on the beach you came over to visit me here in portugal and we had an amazing time really immersing in nature and having beautiful deep conversations so and since then times have been a bit busy so this also in many ways feels like reconnecting and picking up that thread again yes of the conversation we had so, Menno, when we were hanging out on the beach yeah, and talking there for the weekend, you shared with me many colorful and beautiful stories yeah, of 
this, as referred in the introduction, really diverse range of experiences that you have had. And I wonder if we can just share a few highlights of your journey, like what has got you here to what you are doing today with our listeners. Let's go deep straight away then. Yeah. I think the one of the key defining moments from a career perspective has actually been a childhood trauma. Coming from a rather successful family of lawyers on my mother's side, I heard some of those uncles and aunts talking about me behind closed doors, and they obviously didn't know I was there. And uh, part of the narrative was like, you know, he'll probably, he won't be able to finish school, kind of in summary. And uh, the words were slightly harsher, but they, and it wasn't a long conversation, what I overheard, but it did stick. And it stuck in such a way that it anchored a very, very deep program of wanting and probably over needing to prove myself. Mm, And so, you know, life took its course. High school was extremely difficult. I then met the right girlfriend who was able to catch and support me. And uh, that brought me back on a set of rails, then went to do uh, university, but like in a rather crash format, went on to do postgraduate masters, then an executive MBA, started uh, teaching at university and had a very, let's say, fast paced career where doors opened up at ages where the doors theoretically would have been closed or should have been closed, Mm -hmm. actually, I'd say for myself. And... The important thing in everything I'm saying here is I didn't really do it, one, consciously, and two, for the right reasons. So looking back, I'd do it all over again. It gave me tremendous life experiences and having a little bit more wisdom than two decades ago, I also realized and and recognized that I lacked intentionality and I lacked consciousness of how I was doing things and why I was doing things. Mm, Super powerful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this. It really touches me actually to hear this part of your story. And I really want to honor you for bringing it. And it seems to be a pattern that I see also with many of my clients who have built successful businesses that oftentimes there's some kind of a childhood trauma that happened. Mm -hmm. And out of that came this urge to kind of prove it and to make things right yeah and then this fire started to burn yeah and then indeed they achieved it just like what you have shared in your story yeah ticking all the boxes my story also has been a bit like this yeah ticking all the boxes and having the success but then at some point this question comes okay what now yeah we have it we've done the success how was this for you how did this shift happen and maybe how do you feel that now with what you do you are differently positioned than back then obviously it's all gradual there is no for me there was no immediate aha moment but there was a period of my life where i was working for a major us-based american company mastercard and i was leading um amongst other things, one of their innovation activities. And and we had a very, very big deal we were working on in Asia. I was living in Belgium and uh, the board was in New York. And so my typical work week for most of the weeks would be to fly out on Monday to New York, 
usually fly back on Tuesday or Monday evening. And on Wednesday, I'd fly to San Francisco or Singapore. And that happened for many, 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 many years in a row. So obviously, it was quite okay because, yes, we were flying extremely comfortably. We were hosted in a very uh, fertile environment. I had family, two kids, and I was still sleeping home three to four nights a week with that schedule, which, which wild, from an yeah. equilibrium point of view was quite okay. Mm-hmm. And closing that deal in Singapore sent kind of an unconscious alarm signal to my brain, like, like, okay, but what did you just do with your teams? How is it supporting society and the evolution of the world? Do I have an answer to that? And I didn't. It was a, a maxi mega deal from a financial point of view, but it wasn't anything I look back to and say like, wow, this really changed the course of the world for better. And then contemplating, you know, time spent in airplanes, uh, 40 hours a week. This was all pre-COVID. So Zoom and digital conferencing was not the topic yet. Climate sensitivity was not that big as it is today. And so while it was not normal, it was quite normal to me because you get in this routine and like any routine or any habit, whether it's good or bad, it becomes a habit. And I didn't question it anymore. Right. And so I'm walking out of this deal and do have a lingering question as to purpose. Why do you do this? Spirituality, if we want to give it that name, I think it's just life, but spirituality was part of my reality since my very early age. But I kind of put it in drawers and behind locked doors. You know, I had my crystals next to my bed, even when traveling. I had all these small things, but from a practice point of view, I had limited to no spiritual presence in my daily routines then. And so, um, you know, the calling came to leave to Peru with one of my friends and go on a somatic ayahuasca retreat. Mm. Did so, came back, like most people, shaken. And that was the beginning of a very deep reshuffling of all my life cards. Family, while I came back with a big, big, big open heart, that open heart wasn't really welcomed mm. because we got used to the life that we co-designed and that I was leading professionally. Right. And I couldn't fit in the old scheme anymore. And so I promised myself that I wouldn't make any major, major decision for a foreseeable number of months. So I didn't. My then wife uh, decided that she wanted to uh, separate, which we did. And fast forward a year later, after a pretty long time of celibacy, I meet, you know, what I, who I now call the woman of my lives. Mm. Kind of a, yeah, twin flame, very, very, very um, high learning relationship, as you know, mm. tremendous growth and thus tremendous challenges. But it all started like that, you know, the not realizing where purpose lied and yeah. a side journey of exploration to actually uh, seek the voices, the internal voices that would give me parts of the answer as to what it is, what is it we're doing here and what is it I want to do and how do I want to do it. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I really want to commend your courage in that also. It sounds like there was this inner calling and something just tapping you on the shoulder and saying somehow, uh, you know, this is objectively successful, but it's not really fulfilling the depth 
of your being, the depth of your core. And to follow that in this situation is quite a jump off the cliff, as I'm sure many people can relate who are listening to the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe yeah. yeah right yes. now in this space. And I also want to reassure them, it was a big cliff and it was a big jump. And I was supported and helped in taking that leap. So I don't want to give the impression like, you know, easy choices, easy decisions mm -hmm. and, and just do it and everything will be fine. It took faith and it took commitment. Yes. But if you take love, for example, I was significantly helped by the love component in my life to actually dare and align that internal calling with how I walk this path. So it wasn't the obvious, easy, uh, the door is opening up and you just, you know, walk through and you'll get the answer. I was helped. Yes, I needed courage. But just like in my career, I had amazing roles, which I executed pretty well. But if the door is not open, you need a little help from life, from people, from your surroundings, from the energies. And I had quite a bit of that. So I don't want to take away from what I did, but I want to give back to where it also belongs. Yeah, yeah. Would you say it was a bit of kind of dark night of the soul scenario, this moment of stepping into the unknown? Is that a yeah, yeah, yeah. And those nights are sometimes still very, very present. I would actually say it's not a night. It felt like eternity. That whole transition period was really long, really long. And, and yeah, just like you build your career as a journey, transition journeys, or at least mine, took time and wasn't an overnight kind of revelation solution scenario. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a well-described phenomenon also. Yeah, St. John of the Cross, who started with this description of the dark night of the soul, making it really yeah, into a term that we are that is so common actually nowadays, also mm -hmm. being used in so many places, mm -hmm. but really describing this moment of waking up that something isn't working in the way that we perceive the world and in the way that we interact and position ourselves somehow in our creation. Yeah? And that, of course, I mean, is a quite a difficult experience to see <laughs> yeah? the fundament that I have created isn't holding me any longer. Yeah, your point there, sorry to interrupt you, but that I have created. Yeah. And that's where it starts. It's like recognizing you created it is in itself such a challenge mm. and takes, I mean, both wisdom, but also distance and, and being the observer of your situation, your life, yourself, your unconscious patterns, etc. Step one before being able to address anything. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thanks for, for sharing this. Indeed, that already takes such a humility there and somehow such a bowing down also somehow yeah, to acknowledge, hey, not everything is just external circumstance and I'm not no. the victim here, but somehow I have built it yeah. like this. How would you say, so now kind of after this dark night and all that has happened, how's your life? Like uh, yeah, I mentioned in the beginning, the work that you do, of course, we have been talking a lot about it also privately, so I have a good mm -hmm. understanding, but... How would you say from this soil that has been seeded with some dark yeah, <laughs> some dark times, what has grown from here, from this soil? It's a super interesting question and it's an interesting reflection into myself and for myself as well because the, 
the situation is actually very similar and it's extremely different. Mm-hmm. I was leading people into, because obviously I worked with teams and so team and, and talent empowerment was at the core of what I did, even though the organizations I worked for were listed companies, at least for the last 10 years. And I now work on the empowerment of talent in a way that is less egocentric. While I was working on that talent through and for myself, indirectly and unconsciously in the past in those big organizations, I'm now working on the empowerment of talent for them through me. And so that reconnects me to a very, very deep or at least much deeper sense of, yes, let's call it purpose, because I thrive on seeing them thrive. Whereas in the past, I was there was a little bit more self-centricity in there mm-hmm. because I tried to heal that wound, that legitimacy wound that needed to be recognized and valued for what he thought was you know, an undeserving little boy that behind closed doors heard that he wasn't worthy of success and of achieving things. So that's one huge component of how my life is now different. The second component is one of freedom. I gave that example of how I traveled. No one actually ever told me, Meno, this is what you have to do. (laughs) And yet, this is what I had to do. Yeah. While now, if no one tells me what I have to do and I don't tell it to myself, nothing happens. And so I'm in this amazingly comfortable, uncomfortable situation like you and like many of the entrepreneurial spirits out there, whether it's full-time or half-time or quarter-time, it doesn't really matter, that I have to guide my energy distribution and my time allocation in a way that is fulfilling. And that way today is uh, much more into freedom than it was two years ago Mm -hmm. and less than three years ago. So it's also evolving. I don't have a fixed recipe, but freedom is the second component. And then if I were to go for a third one, it would be, and that journey doesn't stop. Yeah, I'm still working and being helped in working on myself to change my inner world as for my outer world to change in resonance. And so whether you call it dark night of the soul or not, it's not always extreme, but the work in the discomfort of my inner world is a continuous thing. It didn't stop. It will not stop. I try to bring uh, you know, more joy into that, but it's a process and it's an ongoing process where you just go and peel the onion layer, layer and layer mm-hmm. and layer deeper yeah. and head into it. Yeah, I love this, man. And there's so many pieces here that we could pick up and dive into. So much just gold in those three different areas that you shared. But I feel called to ask more of a bit of a general impression. Yeah. So you said essentially the work, it's kind of similar. Yeah. The frame of what you do, empowering people and supporting people to be in their own full expression. Yeah. That's something that you already used to do. But I'm curious now that kind of the inner component has shifted so much and is still shifting so much. How do you see the result of this work being different? So how is it landing differently? Uh, you know, 
maybe doing kind of the same thing, but I imagine the results that your people that you're working with now are quite different than back then in the days of running big organizations. Mm -hmm. The word that comes up is fulfillment. It's like not only in myself, but also in people. The joy that I see in people when they actually unlock hidden or underutilized zones of talent in their own organizations versus in big organizations has more of a freedom component to it. So I see more expression of pride, of joy, of contentment in the people I work with today than in the teams I worked with in the past. In the past, yeah. And so that would be a first element. The second element is that the reaction time, because it's it, it's one-on-one, is immediate. Whereas in those big organizations, you first unlock talent or lift blockages of talent. And then there is this whole process of going through getting the organization to move. And so once the organization has moved, people have lost contact often, in my experience, Mm. with what they actually unlocked months or weeks or years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas today it's like, you know, as of tomorrow, you're building a new habit and this is how we're going to do, or we're breaking this belief system and this is how we're doing it as we speak. And we're going to address it somatically and we're going to address it psychologically and we're going to address it energetically. And they walk out and things start to change. And so the immediacy of planting the seeds is more visible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know from our conversations that you take your clients to the edge also in ways which are quite innovative or especially you know in some of the more traditional contexts of entrepreneurship or business would be probably considered like quite out there <laughs> yeah how is that working like i'm i'm curious yeah because this also feels like something that you wouldn't have been able to do in this old understanding yeah, and this old kind of self image of yeah, running the big organization in accordance with a certain script And now it feels like you're really bringing your soul into what you do and taking people into really kind of leading edge experiences. Even now you mentioned it briefly, somatic experiences and shifting beliefs. And so can you take us a little bit into that and share a bit how that works and how that feels and how that is an expression of your truth? Yeah. So how it feels amazing. Simple. (laughs) how it works. It actually started with a realization, which for some of your audience members will or may sound like stupid, but I had an assumption, a kind of principle, being surrounded by extremely talented people. So I was lucky during my career to be in a position where I could hire and be surrounded by extremely talented people. And so my assumption was people make optimal decisions, including myself. And building up on that assumption, I actually had a house of cards because I realized, and that's actually post big organization. So uh, Peru and and my spiritual uh, experiences and coming back and ramping up on coaching individually, I started to realize and looking back at my own track record, like Menno, I mean, most of your decisions have been highly irrational, 
extremely driven by unconscious belief systems and patterns you're completely unaware of. So where has that notion of optimized decisions, where did it come from? And so that started that real journey of, well, we won't and we don't want to because we're human. We don't want to make everything as intellectually sound and objective as possible. But we want to find the sweet spot where at least it's not the trauma speaking Mm -hmm. or not too much or we are aware of it and where we try to advocate for a situation where my talent speaks more than my weakness, which is completely contrarian to the school system, kind of all over the world, except if you're in green school in Bali or that kind of an environment. But, But the school system creates these little monsters of which I was a very good example where you ingurgitate knowledge and you regurgitate that same knowledge in a very homogeneous way and you're being ranked and graded on your capacity to do that well. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not trained to question. We're not trained to question intelligently. Right. We're not trained to have critical mindsets. And all those little children coming out of that system, become big adults with inner childs behaving most of the time on those patterns and with those coded belief systems and and working methodologies. And so breaking that down was step one. Now, to your question, how? First of all, I'm being helped by the corporate career, which I didn't or don't portray as beautiful and full of wisdom as it has been, because it also has in that darkness there in, well, darkness, it wasn't all darkness. There was light and darkness, but in that darkness lie huge lessons, huge mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't be doing this if I hadn't done that. Yeah. And especially not in the way I'm doing it. So when people come to me and seek to work with me, the first thing we do is making sure that we are truly made for each other, at least for part of a journey. So I'm very clear as to what that journey is about. Mm -hmm. It's long-term, it's deep, it's extremely challenging. And what they help me with is that they kind of hand over full trust in the beginning of how we start to work. And I do everything I can to create a context in which they feel that I'm as deep into it and into them as they are into the process and into me. And so, yeah, most of my clients who started working with me when I went full-time on this are still working with me. Mm. Uh, So it started with a year engagement and we're now multiple years later and most of them are still around. But I do take them to certain edges of, yeah, of what wouldn't work in classical corporate coaching. Or mentoring, yeah. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So in a way, as you share this, it feels like kind of the sort of frame that would have been useful to you yourself when you were going through this transition phase in your life and maybe having to dive a little bit deeper into some of the uncertainties and some of the unknown territory where now you're providing a frame that makes it a bit more easy still challenging yeah of course because we still need to find those edges and we still need to confront our inner demons but in a way where there's a space holder who really knows what the journey looks like and how to bring it back into 
also a company that's operating in a very professional way. Which, if I, if you allow me, is is also the difference between coaching and mentorship. One, do you walk the path yourself, or have you at least walked it? Mm-hmm. Yes, I use a lot of coaching tools, but I most of the people I work with work with me because they want to have opinionated positions, right? Which is helping them to decide which direction they could go in, not which direction to go in, but they could go in based on my own experiences. Why? Because I quite successfully did a few things and I also quite successfully failed miserably. And it's in both those extremes that if you find the proper way of carrying that message, that the wisdom lies for them. And people work in so many different ways, but mimicking is one of the things that they see. As you know, I had a very big accident last year with very serious uh, spine fracture and injury. And coming out of that, I decided that I wouldn't listen to the doctors and that I would outperform any limitation that they told me I would face by starting to train for an Ironman, which we did 10 days ago. Now, the point is not uh, me doing the Ironman. The point is Seeing that, five of my clients this year did a half Ironman <laughs> so cool. without being forced to do so. Yeah. And all, well, four out of the five, with the absolute belief they couldn't do it. Mm. Because one never swam, the other one didn't have a bike, the other one never run and never biked, and they all finished. And, and so walking the path while it may seem egocentric for some, is also a very direct and indirect way to inspire people to actually look at an example of whatever the example is and say like, hey, you know, I mean, if he can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If she can do it, I can do it. Why have I started to believe that I couldn't? And usually it's because people who never did it tell you that it can't be done. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I love this. And I'd love to also dive into the Ironman in a moment. But there's just one thing here that I really want to highlight because it's also so much my own experience of working with people where there's somehow, it feels like such a sacred space being opened when somebody decides to work with me and to uh, embark on a journey together where uh, indeed, it's almost like, it feels like a mystical phenomenon almost of some kind of an energy harmonization or maybe even some kind of an energy transfer or something like this, mm-hmm. where I've seen it so many times. Yeah? They take this decision to, to step in, yeah? to make this shift, whatever it is for them. And almost instantly, there's this new attunement, what you are also speaking about, to somehow a different energy inside of them. And oftentimes an energy that I'm somehow able to model yeah with whatever they are uh, wanting to to build and it's so fascinating to me how that happens yeah? it's like mm-hmm. yeah of course there's a yeah, we're talking yeah, in the session and we're facing demons and unraveling beliefs and so on but there's also this component of just some magical energy shift uh, that seems to be happening again and again and again yes which makes it actually not so magical it's magical in the reverence it deserves, but it's normal once you get to connect at a subtler level of 
energy levels in life. Because just like you, yes, it's every time again, it humbles me. It triggers really deep emotions of gratitude and beauty and love. And maybe on a side note, important to say, at least for me, if I look at my clients, you know, the average CEO client or executive board member that I worked with 10 years ago was 50. The average client today is between 30 and 35, mm, wow. which says many things. One, the growing maturity of the younger generations, first thing, the capacity and willingness to invest in themselves at that level of maturity and age and in the positioning that I'm in, that you're in, which is pretty premium high-end and very one-to-one, -one, at least speaking, uh, speaking for me, is truly, truly impressive for me to actually witness. And I don't know where it's going to go, but for now, it's a trend that seems like stable and implemented. Been going on now for a decade and yeah, I see no change. So welcome and well done to those new generations as well mm, as the older yeah. generations of which I'm part. Yeah, we could also flip it yeah, and say that you're becoming younger, Menno, as the yes. years are passing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I feel this real youngness and youth of spirit in you, which is so beautiful. And Energy-wise, that's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I can, I can tell and people can tell. And I actually also have the same experience. I'm a bit younger than you, but I feel every year I'm becoming actually more young, more, more vital, more of myself, more strong, more centered in my being. Yeah, it's like just also the connection with, with depth, the connection with the spiritual heart which by the way, there's an episode on the podcast, episode number two, if anybody wants to kind of revisit this, yeah? but the connection with this depth, it's bringing to such a, such a spring of just joy and love and bliss and freedom and success on so many levels. And I see that in you also. Yeah? So maybe mm -hmm. that's also part of the reason why your audience is becoming younger. It's because you're uh, coming ever closer to the source. Uh, this. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank this you. spring yeah uh, and it's actually also beautifully being mirrored yeah and the things that you do we spoke briefly before this interview about your ironman that you did just now here in portugal yeah mm -hmm. close to where i'm where i'm recording this right now close to where i'm sitting and also that feels like this youthfulness and even you shared it just now after your accident yeah to be like yeah you know what i can heal anything i want like i can do an Iron Man, why not? Yeah. And even you shared with me when we were hanging out that you want to be competing for pretty much world level Iron Man yeah, in, in your age group. Yes. Um, Thank you for that last part. I was going to add it in my <laughs> age group. Yes. So, and in this, of course, they are measuring the, the age as per your birth certificate. Yeah? So yes. Becoming younger doesn't. doesn't well, I need one me. excuse. I need at least one excuse. Right. <laughs> to go and compete against the young guys. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so maybe share a little bit. How's your journey with this? Also, one more piece I want to highlight on this. Many people I meet, they think, okay, the moment that you kind of become spiritual, quote unquote, whatever that means, yeah, that's the moment when you also lose a little bit your ambition and your drive and you're kind of just 
sitting somewhere in nature and contemplation or something like this. Yeah, that seems to be like a preconceived notion that I encounter sometimes. I can say for me, that's definitely not my experience, but for you, also obviously not. Yeah, because obviously not. The same, no. Same drive. Yeah. Uh, yes. Maybe we can speak a little bit into this. You know, and, uh, and again, I'm not going to uh, claim that I know it's just my truth, but the more I'm engaged with life, the more spiritual presence I feel. And engagement with life can take many forms. Contemplation is definitely one that I like and love, probably not the one that I practice enough, but one that resonates a lot. Sports as well. You know, one of the training methods that I fancy particularly is night running deep in the forest at night with the headlamp on your own, with your breath in your body. And why is that spiritual? Because the only thing you hear deep in those forests is the breathing. And if you start to have a disconnect with the breathing and start to pay attention at things you thought you saw or heard, all of a sudden the breathing gets out of control. Fear starts to kick in, which usually happens deep in the night and when it's it's dark, 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 and you see the animal eyes uh, lightening up with your headlamp. And then the breathing starts to accelerate. You increase your pace, but because you do, you, your breathing is even more out of sync. And all of a sudden, you have to slow down so much that the fear increases even more. And so the physical discipline of keeping the body in control and the mind in control to have the breathing perform as it should is a sort of meditation in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And when you're able to then get into the rhythm of running without the thinking, just knowing that everything flows, it's probably the deepest states of meditation that I've known, mm. except maybe being in a, in a real proper meditative setting in a temple or an ashram or, a, or like where the energies are really conducive and high for it. But running is for me, an expression of spirituality, just like food can be or lovemaking can be. And um, yeah, it doesn't, it, it success or exertion of energy or abundance, uh, all these terms that theoretically are rarely heard in conjunction with spirituality, they go hand in hand for mm. me. I love that. Yeah. Is that something that you take your clients uh, with you also for online? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we do. So we're, we're unveiling a little bit the lifting the lifting the veil, lifting the veil exactly. Yeah, in beautiful manner. So I I love this, and it feels like a potent point to slowly also start to close yeah, and to leave our listeners with this integration of yeah full engagement with life and full just also honesty with with life and integrating that into both the business and the relationship with ourselves, yeah, as you have so powerfully shared with your journey here. Before we wrap up, I wonder if there's still anything that you would like to share with our listeners or if there's still something that kind of feels like it wants to come forward. Yeah, maybe very briefly on the Ironman experience mm -hmm. yeah. because there have been a couple of lessons in there. One, looking at the people who actually perform it a very humbling and mesmerizing experience to actually see how diverse in age, diverse in bodily figures, 
people push themselves and are capable of achieving what seems unachievable is, is like deserves a big wow uh, mm -hmm. from me. Now, as to my own experience, so Ironman races have four components, three sports components and one additional one. So the first one is the swimming, obviously. Then you get out of the swim onto the bike and from the bike into the run. And you're done. The fourth component is nutrition. And uh, nutrition is one that I master and researched a lot on. So it's really a topic that I ace. I coach my clients into their nutrition strategies, pre-race, during the race, etc. Now, the race started, went really, really well on the swim, uh, way better than I thought it went. And I'm onto the bike and they changed the bike course a little bit because of the weather. And uh, all of a sudden, before you know it, the bike ride is over. And I don't realize it, but I only drank one of the four bottles that I was supposed to drink. And so I'm dehydrated without realizing it. I start to run at a really decent tempo. And after a few K, all of a sudden, my mind goes black. Like, it's not that my legs are heavy. It's I, I lose the capacity to think. And two things, two lessons in there. One, if there is one thing I didn't train enough is my habit formation for my brain to unconsciously know what to do when I consciously don't know what to do anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. where the power of habit lies. I didn't train enough for those situations where I would lose control of my mind. And I was completely convinced I would never lose control of my mind on that mm -hmm. aspect. And therefore, I didn't train it yeah. because I know it so well. And so that's number one. And two, the interesting thing there is like, because I was so confident, that's where my weakness housed itself. I wasn't confident on the swimming and therefore I remained very present. I was relatively confident on the bike and that's where I started to fail. Mm -hmm. And the thing I love most, the running, I couldn't do at my full potential because I lost presence and consciousness on the two previous ones. And so, yes, huge lessons for me in there. The journey still was amazing. Uh, I can and am and should be proud of how I finished it. And I learned something. Powerful. Yeah, yeah. I love this story. And I wonder for the listener yeah, who is engaged with building their company and, you know, steering the ship and setting everything up well, how can we relate this? to their arena, say, yeah, these two lessons that you just shared. What can we maybe share as a final word of recommendation or insight yeah, to the listener who is right now in the arena of building their business? Step one for me would be grounded into action. When I was talking about doing or going back to Ironman, it's a very unanchored form of energy. Everything shifted the day I bought my ticket mm. because buying my ticket allowed me to vis start visualizing the journey based on how I wanted to reach the destination. So it's not about being better than, it's about how do I want to do this? Who do I want to be when I do it? What would make me proud based on what I think I can do? 
And so the rollout of that plan, the preparation, requires slowing down. So it's actually funny in a race where you try to go faster, slowing down mm -hmm. is probably mm -hmm. the way to actually truly observe and start to plan for what you want to achieve. How will I deploy my energy? How much energy do I have? And if you go to the entrepreneur, what do I have at my disposal from a capital point of view, from an energy point of view, from an intellectual point of view, from a time point of view? And how do I want to deploy that? Do I deploy my energy on the highest leverage activities or do I disperse myself too much? And from that perspective, a race is just the same as running the business. And then the final thing would be like, trust yourself more than the externalities. If you know you want to, you can. Amen. That is a very beautiful, a very beautiful message to leave our listeners with. And I feel to wrap up yeah, this powerful conversation that we have had, where we spoke about you know, the depth of personal transformation, really finding this inner voice, following, moving through dark nights of the soul, the importance of being supported on this journey, different formats that this support could look like, and now some real grounded advice yeah, and insights about how to, how to go through this, yeah, to really also commit, like buy the ticket, <laughs> do the thing, yeah, and at the same time uh, taking into account also energetic capacities and honoring the bandwidth that we have. So I feel this episode is really, I hope it will be really valuable for you, dear listener, in building yeah, that which you dream of and that which you carry deep in your heart and doing that with utmost success, but also utmost fulfillment and freedom, just as we have been sharing here and just as Manu has been sharing here on the show. So Manu, thank you so much for being here and joining. It's been a real honor to host you. And just the final two questions for you, yeah? uh, the penultimate question. For those who are interested in working with you or knowing more about you, where can they find you? How can they get in contact with you? Yeah, how to establish contact. I'm still suffering one of the side effects of a very uh, high confidentiality career. So you won't see much of me uh, <laughs> digitally yet. But that's my next uh, jump into the unknown and into territory of, of a little bit of personal fear. But you can find my website on uh, www.grower without the O and the E. So jrwr.co. We'll have this also in the show notes. So you don't need to write this down, yeah, but you can uh, conveniently access this in the show notes. Thank you so much, Oliver. And thank you to all the listeners for being there and uh, I hope that there were some little nuggets in there that you can use on your own journey beautiful beautiful and final question Manuel so let's just assume for a moment we would be kind of at an awards kind of banquet like Oscars or the Emmys or something like this yeah? kind of coming there together in a mode of celebration you've been sharing so much about your journey and all the big moments so I just want to give a moment if you would like to give a shout out to somebody or honor some of your mentors, friends, yeah, loved ones in this festive moment before we close, then you can do that. Yeah, you can. Yeah, it, it would be so unfair to start naming people, but 
you know, and the the listeners don't notice, but the way our friendship appeared, developed, and how it leads to actually mixing these private moments now, uh, business exploration uh, by being able to uh, to be here with you on your podcast. So one tremendous gratitude to you for that shared journey, the beautiful experiences, conversations, for being there when I needed it means a lot and uh yeah so deep in the heart and obviously you know margot my kids um and all the people who affected my life in humanly beautiful ways but also in darker ways i wouldn't be where i am without them and um and so while it's not always easy to reconcile with uh being human it's definitely helped me on the soul journey and and will continue to do so so just thank you to humanity for being who you are so dear listener thank you for tuning in with us here may this episode be a blessing for you may you carry this into your day and i look forward to seeing you soon uh, for the next episode of the pure power podcast and blessings 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 <laughs>